0: Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweid Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweid Sons and Brad Garun from BurgerWeekly.com.
1: Hey, Reverend. Mr. Brad Garoon, how are you doing today? I'm good. I am pretty full for the first time in quite a while. I had a very filling weekend. Really? Yeah.
0: You usually don't come to the podcast full. What happened?
1: Uh, well, the reason I came to the podcast full today is today, uh, and we always do this, we date ourselves in our intros, but today's National Cereal Day, and I i do work with 16 Handles, and we have a milk and cereal flavor. And I had all these cereal toppings in the office, and I just poured milk in them and ate a bunch of bowls of cereal today, so I've been very full.
0: What was your favorite cereal you ate today?
1: Uh, Fruity Pebbles, which I never had as a kid. So. <laughs> Yeah, so it was quite a treat to have him today. It was very sweet. I was kind of bouncing off the walls. But the reason I'm perpetually full is uh, I ate a giant pizza burger this weekend in Queens at this place called the Baroness. And I think maybe I'm off the pizza burger trend. Meaning like you don't want red sauce and mozzarella or basil or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I just, I think there are two ways to do it. You can do it subtly with just as you mentioned, like a, maybe a thin slice of mozzarella. The bun was pizza dough, which, which tasted good on its own, but not as part of the burger. And then uh, I had something called the Italian stallion at Clinton Hall a while back, which is essentially a pizza burger, which with mozzarella sticks and pepperoni and red sauce. And I liked it, but it was a lot. And I know that the Grayson is doing a pizza burger coming up. Anyway, I know I've seen a lot of this on on social media lately. And I just, I don't know, sometimes it's like, let's just leave well enough alone and stop making frankenfoods.
0: You know, it's funny. First of all, I'm with you on the frankenfoods thing. Sometimes they just crush and sometimes it was a disaster. But you got to, I, I like people who try. Yeah. Uh, I was not going to talk about the burger I'm going to talk about, but because of what you said, I am now. Okay. So I was at the Ainsworth over the weekend. You know I'm there a lot. I love that place. Uh, and I ordered a burger that I honestly, and I said this to, to Chef Stephen Yen, so I don't have a problem saying that on the podcast, but I thought the idea was a cop-out. I thought it was real simple. It was real easy. And normally he's intensely creative. But I ordered it, and I took a bite, and it blew me away, and I can't stop thinking about it, and I told him he's a genius.
1: It was the? Burrata burger. Oh, yeah. He's been talking about that on social media.
0: It's like Italian greens like a really creamy burrata and a roasted red pepper. And that's it. And I'm like, you know, usually you have these insanely creative and out there insane burgers. And I thought this was like an easy cop out. And man, I ate crow on those words pretty hard because I ate a lot of that burger and it was delicious.
1: All right, sweet. Well, speaking of delicious, uh, our guest today uh, has a very, very, very enticing food blog and she's got a cookbook coming out. So why don't we talk to Amy about her life as a blogger?
0: Amy Kreitzer is the founder of the Jewish cooking blog, What You Want to Eat. She's a trained personal chef who cut her teeth at Le Cordon Bleu in Austin, Texas. Uh, her recipes have been featured on the Cooking Channel, Rachel Ray, and the Show blog, Bon Appetit, HuffPo, Fox News, Magazine, so many places. She's a go-to voice in the world of Jewish and kosher cooking, uh, whose wisdom has been sought by the Washington Post, ABC News, and the Wall Street Journal. Uh, She's also a freelance writer for the Austin Chronicle and Jewish Week. Later this year, Amy's cookbook, Sweet Noshings, New Twists on Traditional Jewish Baking, will become available. Amy, how does one go from being a food blogger to developing recipes for Sabra, a company that has over one-third market share in Mediterranean grocery foods?
2: Uh, Well, it didn't happen overnight, and I think when I initially started my blog, it was just for fun. So I had a typical corporate job, and I was a little bored at work, so... I started to read some food blogs, and then one day I decided to start my own blog. I really loved the community, but I didn't realize even people made money doing it at that time. Um, so I just wanted to have a niche just to focus what I was doing, but I realized later on a niche ended up really helping me overall, so that was definitely um, a good thing I did instead of just doing general cooking. Uh, so I've always loved Jewish food, and my grandma's cooking, and you know I wanted to kind of reinvented for the modern palate. So I, it was around Hanukkah time, so I made some latkes and put them on my blog, and that kind of just started from there. So a few months later, I decided to quit my job and go to culinary school, and then I just kept adding more and more things on my plate, like the recipe development and freelance writing. I've been a personal chef and just kind of growing, and now I just finished my first cookbook. So that was really a goal of mine that I'm I'm super excited to have.
1: What were you doing professionally before you started the blog, and how did you make that decision to quit and go to culinary school, aside from just a being bored situation?
2: Yeah, know. It's a, it's a big decision, especially yeah. in hindsight. Um, well, I lived, before I lived in Austin, Texas, I lived in New York City, and when I was there, I produced conferences, so I did the content for marketing-themed conferences, and I traveled a lot, and I spoke to high-level executives, and I wrote the agendas and did research, and That was a super fun, creative job, but then in 2009, the recession hit New York and people couldn't afford to come to our conferences anymore, so I I heard Austin was fun and I came to visit, I loved it, so I kind of picked up and moved to Austin and started working at a consultancy uh, where and our clients were investors, so we were either very busy with them or kind of just waiting to hear from them next. So in my downtime was when I had some time to start reading about blogs and start my own blog. And I just found it was all I could think about. Like, when, on the weekends, I was, all I was doing was blogging, and coming up with new recipes. And when I wasn't working, it was all I wanted to do. And um, to me, that was a no-brainer that this was something I have to do. So uh, I was kind of tired of sitting behind a desk and staring at a computer screen all day. And I decided, worst case, I'd go to culinary school. It would be a fun break. And I'd come back. I'd be a better home cook. And I'd go back and get another job. And, like, best case this would be my career, which it ended up becoming.
1: The blog came before you decided to go to culinary school, yeah?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I started my blog in December 2010. And after a few months, I decided I wanted to make a change. But for me, you couldn't just quit your job and start, you know, try to cook for people. So I wanted to learn a little bit more about about cooking. And I was always a good home cook and grew up cooking with my mom and my grandma. Um, throughout my childhood, but I really wanted to refine my techniques, and I thought it would make myself more marketable as a personal chef as well. Um, But by the time I finished culinary school, my blog had taken off a lot more, and I did have two clients that actually found me through my blog, uh, so I didn't even have to really find them or advertise myself at all.
1: Right on. You know, if you want to call her your bubby on the show, you're more than welcome.
2: To my you. bubby, yes. <laughs> Which is grandma.
1: Amy, so was there was there
0: like a moment or a tipping point where you're like, I'm doing this full time, that's just it, I'm going to do it. And was it money? Was it a feeling? What, what, what was that moment like?
2: Uh, well, so part of the reason I went to culinary school and to become a personal chef, I thought that was a way to make money and still do my blog on the side. Um, but there really wasn't one time where I decided I'm I'm blogging and not doing this anymore. It's kind of just been a, a gradual process. And I think, you know, quitting your job, to me, if you're going to do something, you have to do it 100%. And I couldn't do my job and pursue the blog at the same time. I, you know, I thought it's worth taking the risk and seeing if I can make money. And if I had to pay my bills, I'd have to find ways to do it. Whereas if I had my full time job to, as, a, as a backup, I wouldn't be as motivated to keep going with the blog. So I kind of did that scare myself tactic. So you know, I picked up odd jobs initially, and then slowly dropped them off as I did more things related to my blog. Um, but I guess maybe the once I got my cookbook deal, that was kind of a uh, oh, you know, people people are definitely interested in this now, so it's definitely going in a good direction. So that was a definitely an exciting turning point for me.
1: Awesome. And so all those odd jobs have now turned into things that are branded Amy Kreitzer and what you want to eat. So can you yeah. just take us through a day in the life? How do, how does your day look typically now?
2: Yes, yeah, so it always depends on the day. Um, right now I'm focusing on recipes for my blog and I do a lot of recipe development either for clients or sponsored posts on my blog. So either, you know, in the morning, I'll come up with some ideas of, you know, the recipes I want to do and what, you know, the nice thing about having the Jewish blog is there's always a holiday coming up. So I just finished some Passover ones. Um and before that I did Purim and before that was Hanukkah. So there's pretty much always a holiday to focus on. So I'll come up with some different recipes um, on some days, and then other days I'm testing them. Other days I'm um, photographing them. Um, So it kind of really just depends. Some days I'm just writing and doing all that fun behind-the-scenes SEO kind of stuff, which is not my favorite. So depending on the day, I'm doing different things involved in that. Um, And sometimes I'll, I'll be traveling and doing different demos or going to events. So I really love to get out of the house as much as possible.
0: So you, you maintain the blog as well as active profiles on you know, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, even yeah. Google. I even saw that you recently updated Google+. Uh, some people or brands that do that just post the same thing on each of them, uh, but you seem to have like a much bigger marketing mix. How do you plan which goes on which network and when?
2: Yeah, so every time I have a new recipe, I'll post it on everything, but I definitely tailor it so it has a little different message. So if someone's following me on everything, they're not going to get the exact same verbiage and the exact same picture. So I do different pictures for each one and different messages. Um, I Instagram is my favorite. I love being on that, and I keep it focused on Jewish food. But I'll, I'll share, like, recipes from behind the scenes if I'm making a Reuben sandwich or if I'm just making matzo ball soup. Whereas Facebook, sometimes I'll share different articles I think people would be interested in that are related to Jewish food. Same with Twitter. And then Pinterest, I'll pin you know other bloggers' recipes besides my own too. And that's not as interactive. So I find I love the interactivity of uh, is that. A, yeah, I guess that's a word <laughs> of Twitter and Facebook and um, Instagram, just to to kind of share different things. And um, I like using Instagram too to share other people's photos and they they people will tag me in their bagels and I just love seeing that or when they make my recipes too I'll like reshare those as well
1: Yeah that's yeah. got to be a great feeling
2: Yeah it
0: is I I think that's the first time I've ever heard somebody say people tag me in their bagels
2: Yeah <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a little dirty but it, yeah it's true I get like I get like <laughs> like dozens a day so I'm not I'm not upset about it so I started sharing um, a bagel that someone else posted every Sunday and then I've, now I've kind of transitioned to Matzeball Ball Monday. Um, I found just people really love seeing those photos, and they'll tag out all their friends in it and say, we've got to make Matzo Ball today. So I just, you know, I love people getting excited about Jewish food.
1: I saw that Mean Girls Matzo Ball post. That was pretty funny. Oh,
2: yeah, thanks. Yeah. yeah. I also love Instagram, too. You can come up with, like, the kind of silly, witty captions, and people like it. I feel, I feel like I'm amongst my people there, kind of. The nerdy people. (laughs) Well,
1: speaking of being amongst your people, uh, so you're down in Austin, which uh, I did a little research today. So Rev and I are both from Detroit, uh, which even Detroit ranks higher on the Jewish population list in the United States than Austin does. Yeah. Uh, Do you ever think about coming back to New York and getting back to where your audience would obviously be more robust, or does where you live not really matter?
2: Well, I mean, part of it doesn't matter because the Internet is everywhere, right? So anyone can access my recipes, um, but part of it definitely does matter. Like, when I go to New York. I love to meet with a, a lot of other Jewish bloggers that are there, and just different media people who are there. And a lot of the freelance work and recipes I do, they're all based in New York. So it's definitely something to think about. But um, for me, there's in Austin. I'm like, I'm the only you know, Jewish food person there is. So you know, one of the newspapers called me the go-to Jew, and she was like, "Oh, is that insulting?" I'm like, "No, I love it. You can, I'll definitely be your go-to Jew." So. Um, I like, you know, here I'm a little more of an anomaly, and the Jewish population in Austin is growing, and it's also, like, a pretty strong group, where in New York, like, everyone and their mom is Jewish, right? But in Austin, it's it's harder to find things, so I think when you do find things, the community kind of rallies behind it. Um, like, my friend just recently started a, a Kanish company, and people are so excited about it, because there's nothing like that here. So I think, you know, that's always been, you know, kind of a, a supportive group that we have that way.
1: Rev, am I your go-to Jew? <laughs> uh,
0: I don't really have a lot of them in life except for the person who sponsors our podcast and <laughs> the rest of his family.
1: So I'm probably not your go-to.
0: Right? No. So Jewish cuisine is a is a niche subset of the culinary world. Maybe not to you guys, but to many people. Uh, and Jews make up less than 2% of the American population. You kind of rarely hear about people excitedly scurrying the Jewish restaurants <laughs> and outside of major metropolitan areas other than you know, who has the best pastrami in New York City. Uh, how do you promote your your site and what you're doing to the broadest possible audience?
2: I mean, for me, like, one of my goals is to make Jewish food more approachable to everyone. Like, you definitely don't have to be Jewish to enjoy some matzo ball soup. And um, I fed my matzo ball soup to many Gentile; They've always enjoyed it. So that's definitely one of my goals. Um, but also, I think the Jewish people are just so passionate about food that even that small 2% are just so excited about you know, making the food that they love kind of modern and approachable. And, and I think you've seen Israeli food has kind of had a revival lately, and I feel like Ashkenazi food should be next.
1: I was just talking about to someone yesterday about how my grandmother used to make these giant portions of things that, uh, like meat, gelatin, all this Lithuanian <laughs> oh, yeah. weird, weird biz. Um, I don't know how normal palates are going to take to that food. But. Well,
2: I mean, I think some food... Is re, deserves to like remain in the past. I don't think we should resurrect everything. I think there's a reason some things are not as popular anymore, but other things like caniches, for example, that you don't see anywhere in in Texas, I think is something that people could really enjoy and more like I there's nowhere in Austin that I know I can get a pastrami sandwich the size of my face. Like that's unfortunate. I think yeah, it's a bummer from that. Yeah,
1: we touched on this a, a little bit ago at the beginning of the of the podcast, but. I think our listeners would love to get a bit more um, details on. A lot of people would love to take their blog and turn it into opportunities for a career. Uh, You do all kinds of things, uh, or you at least offer all kinds of things on your website. Uh, Brand ambassadoring, freelance writing, advertising on the blog. So how did you get started uh, actually making money doing the, through what you want to eat? So like, Specifically, like let's say, how did the Giordelli deal come to be, or how did the Whole Foods consulting come to be?
2: Yeah, and it's kind of been a mix. So as my blog has grown, more brands have reached out to me, and if they want to reach a Jewish population or an Austin population, or just people that are interested in ethnic food in general, you know, they they are interested in my audience, and um, for that, you know, it's advertising, so they're they're willing to to pay for that. And I think part of it, too, is my photography has gotten better and this the recipes have gotten better in general, you know, people see that and they think, you know, we could use this service and we could use, you know, this person's photography on our site as well. So I think it's kind of just grown organically from there. Um, some of them I do use some different services where a, um, they offer you different, let's say, like an an ad on your blog and then you pay them a certain percentage of the money that you get from it so they find the different things for you as well um, but even with that I've only I only accept ones if it makes sense for my brand or if it's you know something that I would eat normally or use normally So cool I still say no to things do you you know, think, I, yeah do
1: you ever worry you know now there's a, a big glut of Instagram influencers food bloggers um, do you worry that brands will be able to find people who charge less or don't charge at all?
2: I mean they, they definitely do but you, you get what you pay for. So you know if a brand's gonna give a blogger some cereal and they just will blog about it for just for some free cereal, they're it not is gonna national get the cereal same... day today. I, I actually that's true. Um they're they're not gonna get the same quality of posts as if they go to someone more respected. So I haven't found a problem. I my business has just been growing, so I haven't noticed a problem in that at all. I think you still have to find the, the quality people and not everyone, especially once it's a hobby, they're not gonna Blogging every every week, or you know every other week, they're kind of kind of fade a little bit um and I think the difference is when when I was starting to blog and other people around the same time, they weren't always as as business focused they were doing it for fun, and I think if you're just doing it to make money, it'll show and you can you can tell and I don't think that's you know just getting your product mentioned isn't gonna get people to buy it. I think you know if you have a a thoughtful um post and recipe, I think It'll people will be able to tell the difference between that and just something that people did quickly, just so they could eat their free cereal on cereal day.
0: <laughs> Amy, it sounds to me like uh, you know a lot of brands, you know restaurants, businesses are reaching out to you, uh, whether that's to advertise or partnership or you know get, find some way to get in front of your audience. You know, what advice would you give to a brand or a business reaching out to somebody who does what you do, and how they should approach? somebody and what kind of things they should feel comfortable asking for and maybe what things they shouldn't be asking for. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I think in terms of, like, asking for things, I love um, brands that have ideas and are creative, and I like to do, like, really creative, kitschy, weird things, so if they're on board with my weird ideas, that that's, that's excellent. Um, the things that I don't like to get are a very generic email, or I get ones, like, Dear blogger, like, we thought you'd be interested in sharing this with your audience. And it's just very generic and you can tell they didn't even look at my blog or anything. And those I usually just delete without even replying to them. Um, and I think other ones who, who don't offer any compensation or are kind of like shocked that you would even ask for that when this is my job and other bloggers you know, do this professionally. And I think for that, for some of the PR people, I'm like, do you get paid and we'll use cereal again. Like, do you get paid in cereal? And they're always like, oh, I never thought of it that way. You know, so I think, I think people have a hard time you know, differentiating bloggers with maybe a journalist who is just looking for the next story, and they don't take the time to even look at your blog and see what it's about before just pitching you something. So I think you know, re- maybe looking at a few of your posts and seeing your style of blogging and seeing how you can work together to benefit both of your audiences I think makes the most sense.
0: So are you saying that bagels are not a currency?
2: <laughs> I mean, I've done things for bagels before, for sure, but <laughs> bagels covered in cash is ideal.
0: I need to find that bagel store, Brad. Have you seen the uh, cash bagel store?
2: Cash bagels. Uh,
1: no, sorry. <laughs> I, got, I got nothing on the cash bagels. I'm actually, like, the worst Jew in New York because um, I have no opinion on what the best bagel here is. I
2: don't know what makes you the worst. Do you have, like, a few you prefer? Yeah.
1: You, just, like, you don't even no. have
2: any loyalty at like, all. No, I like oh, I,
1: Mur- have... I like Murray's. I used to be big on Absolute, but I found myself on the Upper West Side recently mm. and I was like, why did I ever like this stuff?
2: <laughs> I haven't yeah. been there. I have been to. I used to live near Murray's. So I've been there many times.
1: Yeah, I Brad, broke at yeah, Murray's this year. That's a,
2: a solid choice.
1: Brad, I know why you don't have a
0: favorite bagel in New
1: York City. Why? Because the best bagel in New York City is in Jersey City at Wonder Bagel. Well, that's not New York City, my man. But it is the best bagel in the New York City area. Okay, so will you bring me some next time we hang out?
0: Sure, I've won three bagel battles with that bagel, but now we've totally digressed.
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now I, now uh, I need to go to Jersey City. I'll add that to my list. Uh,
1: Amy, you were actually just here in New York City, and you did some co-promotional dining with Kosher Like Me and Brunch Boys. Yes. Uh, do you see a benefit in connecting with bloggers from other regions when you travel?
2: Oh, totally. I mean, I just love, you know, I don't have any coworkers. So I love to connect with other bloggers just to kind of share ideas and share like, like-minded like things, and they did people. Bloggers, food bloggers love to eat, so it's fun to get together and try new restaurants and kind of share our favorite places to go and share ideas at the same time, so I just like, I mostly like meeting up with people because it's fun and interesting to meet people in general, but then you can always learn from each other as well It's kind of a bonus.
0: Amy, let's take a, uh, let's take a moment here to plug your cookbook. Um, oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> tell, can you tell people about the cookbook, how it came to be, uh, and we'll go a little deeper into that, but let's start with about the cookbook.
2: Yeah, so so I guess it was about a year ago I was uh, approached by Quarto Publishing. Um, They were interested in a modern Jewish desserts cookbook, and I was totally game. So it's 30 twists on classic Jewish desserts, um, all kind of similar to my blog, just quirky and fun, from hamatasha into babka. I even have a a dessert bagel in there, which um, I know some people like their bagels savory, but we got something for everyone in there. Um well, else do we I
1: have a very important question on this yeah. tip. So you've got do you have matzu in there? I do. So you're a sweet matzo person and not a savory matzabai. Well I, I like person.
2: I like both, for sure. Okay. Yeah. But
1: there there's no sugar allowed in my family's matzo bray. That's a hard and fast rule.
2: That's that is fair. Agree to disagree. I like both. I think they're different foods. No, no, you're fine. Uh, no, no I like- I, I'm not apologizing yeah.
1: for my matzo bra, I just thought I interrupted.
2: <laughs> no, you're well, it's all okay. So um, I do have a brine and I actually have a sweet lodka in there as well we'll see we 'll see what people think about that
1: and what 's the plan for promoting the book
2: 'm um, definitely i 've been traveling more to do different events um, in terms of demos with different groups, so I plan on doing a a book tour and i 'll definitely be in the New York area because that 's where so many Jews are and um, I plan on going to as many cities as they 'll have me in. And also doing some blog promotion with some of my blog friends as well, and just as you know, kind of sharing it as much as possible. And I want to have some fun giveaways and just get people excited about it because I'm I'm very excited about it.
0: Awesome! I'm excited to learn whatever these food items you guys just talked about. <laughs> I have no idea. Amy, what, what's the what's the future for for your blog and, and what you're doing?
2: Uh, well, I really love. I mean, it's it's so funny when I left my corporate job, I was really tired of being behind a computer all day, and now I find myself behind a computer a lot of the time, so I really love to get out and meet with people, and I think when I first started my blog, I got, I didn't even know anyone was reading it, I didn't even know how to check if people were reading it, but I got an email from a girl whose mother's side of her family was Jewish, and she didn't, her, they had, they had mostly passed away, and she didn't have any of the family recipes, and she started making recipes from my blog to kind of connect with her family, and to me that was just so cool and it was just way bigger than food and like just getting that email from her was way more exciting than you know than any other kind of promotion I could have received, just hearing from like one single person. So I love to get out there and meet with people who are reading my blog and making recipes and following me on social media. So I plan on doing more events, as many as I can, and definitely um, I'm working on an idea for another cookbook that's more general. Jewish food, not just desserts. So just kind of keep promoting and get everyone to, to know what a knish is and know what blintzes are and not just the Jewish people.
0: As it relates to the podcast and the number one subject matter discussion between the two hosts of the show, yes. there is a very popular burger spot called All American Burgers on Long Island that serves french fries or knishes. I suggest Really?
2: You I love that idea. I, I suggest- will have to hit that up. I'm sure I'll be on Long Island. so.
0: I suggest you both check that out.
2: I will. Thank you for the tip.
0: Yeah, Amy. If I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, having a focus, you know, being in a niche, being a specialist in something you're passionate about, has made a huge difference in your life and
2: career. Definitely. For,
0: for somebody who's kind of looking to get into the food business, is that a mantra you would preach?
2: I think not even just the food business. I think any business it's helpful to have a niche. Even to give another example, I have a friend who was a photographer, and he was taking photographs of everything, like weddings and graduations and literally anything. And um, he was doing okay, and then he decided to focus on just babies. And he became the go-to baby photographer. And then everyone called him when they needed their baby photo, and his business just kept growing and growing. Um, I think that can kind of be applied to any industry. So, if you know, I'm like the go-to Jew, the newspaper said. So if someone needs a Jewish recipe or if a group, you know, wants something for... Passover, that they're gonna call me more than a general blogger, or you know, or just someone else, I guess. So that's been super beneficial to me um, in reaching a niche audience, and I think it helps me focus my ideas too. So I definitely recommend it for any industry.
1: Excellent. That's great advice. Uh, Amy, As we before we go to wrap here, we yep. always ask all of our guests the same few questions, and they are burger-related because we are burger guys. Of course. So what was your favorite burger growing up?
2: So, so I grew up in Connecticut, and we did like, not go out to eat a lot. I don't know if it was just the time or my parents. Um, so we'd like, sometimes get pizza, um, sometimes Chinese food on Christmas, of course. But... Usually we just made at home, and I remember when, I remember like getting our grill, and we would like grill burgers out there, and we'd like sit outside, like the two months it was warm enough to sit outside, so that was my childhood memory, kind of like a good at home, grilled, by your by your dad burger, so I'd have to go with that.
0: We, we get that answer quite often, and <laughs> I think it's a, a nostalgia thing that we all have.
2: Although, although I will say, when I was like five, I did gymnastics, I think once. My mom let us go to McDonald's, and it was like super exciting, but I think I, I think I got chicken nuggets, not a, not a burger, so.
0: You are, I love nuggets. Yeah. Amy, <laughs> what, what was the last great burger you had?
2: Uh, Austin has a lot of great burgers, um, so like Swiss Attic is one of my favorite ones, they have, every Monday they do like a different crazy burger, and I think they actually did a Jewish inspired burger once, they had like Reuben, kind of something crazy like that, which I didn't try that one. Um, Clark's is another restaurant in town that has makes a really great burger but I, sometimes I just like like a dirty like Shake Shack In-N-Out type burger as well so sometimes when you're craving it you just want something kind of like good and greasy and, and delicious.
0: Awesome. One of my all-time favorite hamburgers is in Austin, Texas Second Bar and Kitchen Oh yeah, that
2: Second Bar and Kitchen has a really good burger too actually all their food is really good
0: I, I agree and going back to pizza, their pizza soup is one of my favorite soups.
2: Oh, I haven't tried that I will get that next time <laughs>
1: pizza soup? Yes. So he said? Yes, pizza soup. God, it's pizza everything now. <laughs> if you could give one piece of advice to someone in the food marketing business, what would it be?
2: I think just to to find your voice and just stick with it. So, you know, I like I like to be a little quirky and I I really how I speak on social media and on my blog, people meet me and they're like, "Oh, you're exactly how you are on your blog." And that's the biggest compliment to me. So, I think just find your voice and whatever your brand stands for and stick with it stick with your aesthetic mine I love bright colors and neon and glitter and rainbows and I don't apologize for it that's just my thing but if your thing's more subdued colors or you know kind of I guess pastels just kind of stick stick with that and your audience will kind of find comfort in that and feel like they know you by seeing that
0: well awesome Amy this is a great conversation thank you uh Thank, thank you for all this today. Of where, can, where can people find out more about you?
2: Uh, so they can check out my blog, whatjewantoteat.com. Follow me on social medias. Get my book on Amazon or on any of the other Barnes and Noble places you purchase books. Um, or just email me, amy at whatjewantoteat.com. I love getting emails and questions. And I answer everyone.
0: And lastly, tag you in bagels on Instagram.
2: Oh, yeah, tag me, tag me in your bagels in Moss and Wall Soup. And, <laughs>
0: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.